Time is now 6 p.m. I'm going to call the Vacaville City Council to order. Can we have a roll call, please? Council Agency Authority Member Sullivan? Ritchie? Here. Silva? Here. Roberts? Here. Wiley? Here. Vice Mayor, Vice Chair Stockton? Here. Mayor Chair Roulette? I am here. All right, if you could please stand with me for a moment of silence, and it'll be followed by the Pledge of Allegiance. Councilmember Silva, would you lead us in the pledge? Ready? Again. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right. Mr. City Manager, do we have any amendments to the agenda? No, Mr. Mayor, but I would like to point out for the council and anybody in the audience that uh, the first item under public hearings for uh, Green Tree item 8A has been continued to the regularly scheduled meeting of October 25th. I'll entertain motion. I got a motion and second. All those in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Unanimous approval of the minutes. I'm entertain motion. Thank you. All those in favor? Aye. Uh, any opposed? It's unanimous. Uh, we have a couple presentation, one proclamation. We'll start off with 5A proclamation for fire prevention week. We have uh, our fire marshal, Childress. How are you tonight? Fantastic, your mic is hot. Perfect. Um, thank you, Mayor and Vice Mayor and members of the City Council for your continued support. The Vacaville Fire Department is teaming up with the National Fire Protection Association to celebrate our 100 year anniversary of Fire Prevention Week. This year's theme is Fire Won't Wait, Plan Your Escape. Our goal is to educate our residents on simple but important actions they can take to keep themselves and those around them safe from home fires. We wanna take a moment and invite all of you to our fire station open houses taking place this Saturday, October the 15th from nine to 1 p.m. Uh, we have all kinds of different activities that will promote fire and life safety within our community happening at all the fire stations. Um, this year's activities, including teaching children about fire safety and our inflatable safety house that'll be located at 70, station 71, along with our, one of our dispatchers will be there to teach children about 911 and safety. Um, at station 72, we'll be showing in, um, resi residents um, a demonstration on vehicle extrication. At station 73, we will be doing a dollhouse burn, which will show residents how fire can spread in a house and how important it is to have a plan. At station 74, we will be demonstrating the use of our ladder truck and why it's important we have a ladder truck here in the city of Vacaville. And our ever popular junior firefighter challenge will be taking place at station 75 and our fire explorers will be running the children through that and they get a great little certificate at the end of it. So we're very excited about that. Um, we hope that you guys can join us for all of the demonstrations and I know your support, with your support, we can make this a great event for the residents of the city of Vacaville. Thank you. Thank you very much. I do have a proclamation for Fire Prevention Week, October 9th through the 15th. Whereas the Vacaville Fire Department is committed to ensuring the safety and security of all those living in and visiting the city of Vacaville. And whereas fire is a serious public safety concern, both locally and nationally, and people are at great risk from fire in their homes. 
and that the Vacaville Fire Department's first responders are dedicated to reducing the occurrence of home fires and home fire injuries through prevention and protection of, and education. And whereas in 2022 Fire Prevention Week theme, Don't Get Burned, effectively serves to remind us all of the simple actions we can take to stay safe from fire during the Fire Prevention Week and all year round. Now, therefore, being it resolved, Ron Roulette, Mayor of the City of Vacaville, on behalf of the entire City Council, do by here proclaim October 9th through the 15th Fire Prevention Week in the City of Vacaville, and we urge all of the citizens of Vacaville to support the many public safety activities and efforts of the Vacaville Fire and Emergency Services personnel and heed the important safety messages of the Fire Prevention Week 2022. And would you join me up here? Yes, sir. Thank you very much for all you do. Okay, we will move on to item 5B, Solano Commissions for Women and Girls update. Edith Thomas, please step forward. Thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you so much. All right, thank you so much, Mayor and Vice Mayor and City Council members. <clears throat> I'm Edith Thomas, and um, today I'm here to represent the Commission for Women and Girls. Um, I am your City of Vacaville nominee. I was nominated two years ago, and um, I've been very grateful. I did ask for a slideshow. Is that available? Yes. No? I don't take care of it, but absolutely. <laughs> if not, that's okay. I can, I'm really good at ad-libbing. I emailed it in, but that's okay if not. No worries. <laughs> um, so the commission was created in um, 2018 by the... Um, the uh, Solano County Board of Supervisors. And basically this commission is to report back to the um, supervisors about what our needs are and um, in the community around women and girls um, for equal rights and for awareness and so forth. Um, since the beginning, we started a, we did a study and uh, we created a um, status report around a number of issues and concerns for women and girls throughout Solano County. Um, that is available on our website if anyone's interested. Um, from that study, we identified a number of areas to create work groups, because if we're gonna identify the areas of need, then we're gonna work on creating solutions. Um, wanna go to the next slide. Um, <clears throat> all right, so we've worked really hard over the past two years, we've um, accomplished two sessions, uh, annual sessions around Mother's Day from um, identifying issues around maternal health and um, specifically around the black and brown populations of Solano County. Our infancy mortality rates and um, mother mortality rates are the highest from all the state in Solano County per capita, which is really sad. So we're doing a lot of education and um, the events have both been on uh, Zoom because of COVID, but this year we're looking forward to doing something in person, so we're really excited about that. Um, the other project that we've worked on, we've called it the period project, which is, you know, feminine hygiene. <laughs> um, we've been working in, in uh, collaboration with the um, Tory University's American Medical Women's Association, and we've collected lots and lots of supplies and made them available to um, women and girls, uh, mostly homeless, um, throughout Solano County. So that's been, we've just finished our second annual drive for that, and that's been very successful. 
um, we work together in collaboration with other local agencies to distribute those um, to the folks in their environments, not just the, um, you know, centers, almost centers. <clears throat> We've been working, it's not been a very strong working, but we're following the, uh, regarding the housing, poverty and homelessness, um, regarding the activity with the uh, Solano County's two by two meetings. We were so excited when we saw that was coming into place. So we're excited to um, watch that and support that and encourage more discussion about um, low income housing for women, especially single moms when they're um, having a rough time navigating um, resources. Um, we've, you know, recently we've had quite a bit of um, concerns about the public health regarding the fentanyl and opioids epidemics. And so we're working currently on um, creating opportunities for education and, but also creating support for the moms when the children have passed due to this reason, because that's a pretty intense uh, situation and for siblings specifically. Um, we have a group that are tracking uh, legislative items at the county level, at the state level, at the national level. And so um, the one big concern that we were very supportive of and we were very grateful passed was the Momnibus um, Act that was really around resources and services to encourage um, natural birthing processes for women and have that be covered by insurance. These are concerns for women. <laughs> um, the last item, uh, the last item on the work groups is the Women's History Month. We've had two annual events in March, um, identifying women throughout Solano County that are leaders and um, recognizing them. And the first year we did a lot of uh, political figures, but the second year we did something that was really unusual. We found women in leadership roles in unusual environments. And that was really exciting because these are some of the leaders that don't get a lot of recognition. Um, and this next year, we are looking forward to having an event in person in March to honor women leaders. Um, and we're working on that currently. Um, so in 2023, we're gonna have a five-year anniversary party. I will invite all of you to come and join us for that because um, you know commissions, when they're voluntary, and this is a group of 17 women from throughout the county. It's, it's a lot of work to keep it going. And so we're excited that we're still going and we have these uh, committed members that are actively involved and um, they work hard. So it's been really good. And then finally, I just wanna comment that we've had a group of volunteers that have come together and created a new nonprofit called the Friends of the Commission for Women and Girls, Solano Commission for Women and Girls. And this is a, an, uh, <laughs> it's a tool for them to be able to raise funds for us. Because as a commission identified by the county supervisors, we're not able to do any fundraising, but you know it takes money to do things. Right. So this is really exciting for us. And um, that's, we just finally got our notification this last month. So it's taken a long time, <laughs> but we're very excited about doing that. And so we will be pursuing um, those resources. And on the last, yeah, that's it. That's my last page. Do you guys have any questions? No, but thank you very much. All we right. do appreciate the presentation. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I do have one question. I'm sorry. Yes, ma'am. Council member Wiley. <laughs> sorry. 
Um, thank you for the information. Uh, you mentioned 17 women across the county. So do they come from all different fields or all different age ranges? Do you have like the variety of women on the council? Yes, there is, yes. Each city council uh, nominates someone and then each of the board of supervisors nominates someone. We have two at large positions and that are adult and two at large positions that are uh, youth. And so um, we work really hard to find a variety of people. Of course, we can't choose, pick and choose who gets nominated right. from the official positions, mm -hmm. but we work really hard to encourage real diversity. We have people that are very um, highly educated, a lot of PhDs, and we also have women who are retired. And we have some women who are freshly out of university. So we have a really interesting mix and multiple ethnicities. Um, we have one youth and we have one youth position open. So if you know anybody that's between the ages of, I think 16 and 24, please, um, our website is on the information and we have an application process on there. If not, you're welcome to call me or contact me and I can share that information. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you again. Thank you. We appreciate it. it. Okay, we will move to item six. This is the consent calendar. Anyone from the council that wants to put, pull an item off the consent calendar tonight? I see none. Anyone from the public that wants to pull a consent item off the calendar? See none. I'll close public comment. Entertain motion for consent. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Unanimous. Uh, we'll move to item seven, business from the floor. This is time to address the council with issues that are not on the agenda, but within our council subject matter jurisdiction. See none, I'm gonna close public comment. We'll move to item 8A, Mr. C no, I'm sorry. 8A has been pulled until next. We'll move to 9A, Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, members of the City Council. This first item before you tonight is a public review of our draft housing element. We have Tyra Hayes from our planning department and Jenny Gastelum from Placeworks to make a presentation for the council. I turned you off, sorry, got it, there you go. Good evening, Mr. Mayor, Vice Mayor, members of the council. As City Manager Bush mentioned, my name is Tyra Hayes, I'm a senior planner for the city of Vacaville and I am the housing element project manager. Here with me today is Jenny Gastelum. She's a principal planner with the city's consultant, Placeworks. Tonight, she will be giving a presentation and an overview of our draft housing element. Am I on? You're on, all yes. Right. <laughs> Good evening, uh, Jennifer Gastelum. Nice to see you all in person. It's been a little, little while from seeing everyone on, on Zoom, but um, thank you, Mayor, Vice Mayor, and Council Members. And it's nice to see the City Manager. We've worked together before previously in uh, former lives on different housing elements across the region, so it's nice to reunite. Okay, we're here to present the public review draft housing element, so. Um, I'm gonna jump right in here. So we're gonna do a quick overview of the housing element, which for some of you, this will be a recap. We're gonna go into the regional housing needs allocation process, which drives this, and then what the site's inventory looks like to support that, as well as the new section, the fair housing section that is new to all housing elements for this six cycle. Then get into some implementation programs that 
city staff as well as you will be implementing over the next eight years and then talk about the schedule from here on out. All right, so uh, just as a, a very brief recap, the housing element is one of the required elements of the general plan. It is unique in the fact that it is reviewed by the state and that is a two-pronged process where we submit a draft housing element, which we will be doing for a 90-day review. And then once it is adopted, we submit for a 60-day certification process. We are currently in the fifth cycle housing element right now, which takes us through January 31st, 2023. And we are updating the sixth cycle housing element, which is uh, due for adoption in January 31st, 2023. However, there's also 120 days from that date to get into compliance. So that puts us out to May. So uh, as you'll see the schedule working through the subsequent slides. And the plan for the housing element is to accommodate every jurisdiction in the state's fair share of the regional housing needs allocation. And I'll explain what all those jumble of words mean. So for some of you who participated in some of the collaborative work, uh, the state gave ABAG, the Association of Bay Area Governments, some funding to do some, collab some work collaboratively, and it's called the REAP Collaborative. So through that process, the state gave the money then to Solano County's collaborative. And through that process, we did a number of outreach meetings. We did a survey in three different languages and we created a regional housing needs allocation or regional housing needs assessment, which is all of the census data. It's mostly dictated, mandated by the state, but it includes all the background information for all the cities in Solano County. We also created a regional fair housing assessment. So uh, we could go that alone, but Every jurisdiction would have to have a regional document as well as a specific jurisdiction document. So we were able to combine all of that. I believe the regional piece was about 65 pages of fair housing data and analysis for the region and your individuals were around 50 pages. So that whole new section of the housing element combined with all the Solano jurisdictions is about 500 pages of new, very, very technical data and maps. So um, there's a lot of information in there. And then your housing element includes the sites inventory, the constraints analysis, we check your fees, uh, the timelines from a building permit to actual production. We look at how long that takes. We look at the fees compared to the fees in the region to see the differences in fees and if uh, where there could be potential modifications. We also do a checks and balances process where we look at your fifth cycle housing and we look at what programs were accomplished, what programs were not accomplished, what the reasons why they weren't accomplished and if they should be moved forward. There's also a number of new state laws that have come into play over the last few years that we have included programs. So you'll see staff come back to you through this process with a number of zoning code amendments to get in line with state laws. Um, and then all of this feeds into the goals, policies, and programs. And the way we look at this as, as staff who have to implement this, this is a document, it's a somewhat of a living document because it has to be implemented and you staff has to report to the state on an annual basis of not only how many building permits were approved and what income levels, but also how you're making progress on all your goals, policies, and programs. So it's kind of a, and they've created quite a system now of this annual report, annual progress report. So we wanna make the goals um, meaty, but we also wanna make sure that staff is able to implement them on an annual basis. All right, so um, 
subsequent to starting the housing element process and the collaborative process, Vacaville took on a comprehensive housing strategy. So there were a number of workshops with the community, with developers, an online survey. Then we came in with the Solano Countywide Collaborative and we did stakeholder consultations. So seeing as we kicked off these housing elements in the beginning of the pandemic and there were no in-person meetings, we still needed to gather information from all of the service providers who represent the vulnerable populations throughout the region. We went directly to them. We called them, we stalked them, we did interviews, we you know, got as much information as we could from them because that's what helps feed into the document. So we started with that process and then we did a housing element introduction workshop followed up by a needs assessment and then a fair housing workshop. And um, this next year we'll be doing more outreach to the collaborative with developers on site specific information to see what affordable housing developers are looking for. And so there'll be more information to come out of this collaborative process. Then uh, we're also doing the safety element and environmental justice element updates for Vacaville. That is uh, colleagues of mine that you'll see come forward to you with the draft safety and the draft EJ elements. And then we have done planning commission and now we're here this evening to present the draft to you. So uh, the regional housing needs allocation process is what drives this housing element update. And this is a, a goal that the state sets. They identify a large number for the whole state. They allocate out this growth projection for the next eight year period to all the councils of governments. In your case, AVAG received a number. Solano County went ahead and created a consortium. They took the number from ABAG. There was a consortium created um, by colleagues of mine that divvied out the allocation to all the cities in Solano County. In this case, uh, this created 200 and a goal of 2,595 units. Now, the way that the state requires you to show that you're meeting this goal is to be able to show that you have land available. And that's why the right-hand column shows what the different income categories are, as well as the examples of the densities. So when we're talking about very low and low income, we're talking about a high density product. We're talking about um, 30 units an acre, and I'll get more into that, or a mixed use type product. So we wanna show that the city has enough land available to accommodate the future arena. We're talking about moderate, we're looking at a medium density, the eight to, eight to 14 units an acre, as well as mixed use. And then above moderate is all your single family home. It is not a requirement of the city to build these units. It's a requirement of the city to help facilitate development on these sites through making sure the zoning is available and the general plan designations is available as, as well as helping to make sure that you can process the permits and reach out to developers to help facilitate development. So the fund sites inventory. This table is uh, got a lot of information on it, so bear with me here. So the, the first column is the arena, and then what? But when we start with the arena, we look at what projects are in the pipelines. What is de what development is going to occur over the next eight years? Then we take those numbers off the top. Then we look at what land is available. So that's that middle column, and then we can also anticipate ADUs. ADUs aren't tied to specific sites, but they're tied to uh, previous past production. So we've looked at how many ADUs is your second units, your granny flats, your accessory dwelling units. Sorry, sometimes we speak in, in uh, lots of jargon. So for anyone who isn't aware of what an ADU, accessory dwelling unit. So we can project out and we have projected out for this next eight year period, 66 additional 
ADUs will come online. Now you'll get credit for every ADU that is built, but based on past trends over the last five years, this was the number that was projected based on what was, what was previously done. So this gives a capacity of um, 8,288, and this gives us a large surplus. We, as a surplus is very important in this process. There is a law, a SB 166, which says that um, if a project doesn't come online or a site develops at a density that's different than what's included, you need to make sure that you have backup sites and you need to make sure that you either are maintaining development at the appropriate income levels or that you have land available. So it's a balancing act. And so to ensure that there's enough flexibility to give you flexibility to approve great projects that come forward that might not meet every single number here, we wanna give you the flexibility and that's why we have a large surplus. So these next nine slides, bear with me, we'll go quickly through them, but there are a couple things to point out here. Your population went to over 100,000 during this planning period, which means that the state identifies a default density of 20 units for smaller jurisdictions, 30 units for larger jurisdictions. And they assume that if it's density, it's affordability by design. So if you ha allow for 30 units an acre, then it could potentially be affordable. We know that's not necessarily how life works, but that's the way the state has us identify land. So there are a couple things here. So your default density went from 20 to 30 in this round. So staff is going to be making some modifications to allow for 30, to change some years of zoning designations to allow 30 units an acre. There's also this new law that says, it's 1397 that says that if you've included a site in the last inventory, you have to have basically an asterisk on that site now that says if a project with the property owner and developer interest, if a project comes in and they include 20% affordable, it has to be allowed by right. So any sites, because the state felt that some jurisdictions have like their one affordable site in smaller cities, and they just keep using that same site and that same site and that same site. So the state saw a way to incentivize that was to say, if you're gonna keep counting this site and development isn't occurring on it, we're gonna say that if a project comes in that includes 20% affordable, then you have to allow it by right. So then you would default to your objective design standards to make sure it has to still meet all of the requirements of the site, but it gets to be processed ministerially and not um, on that level. So that's. Uh, 1397 is the new law regarding that. So in this, you'll see this North Village specific plan was previously included in the last one. And these sites here are all being rezoned to exclusively housing at 30 units an acre. So that's kind of the overview of those. Now we have quite a few more on here. Again, on the sites that were previously counted in the housing element, just to be clear, it's not a requirement to do 20% affordable, it's if a project comes in that's 20% affordable, then it has to be allowed by right. So these are, again, another list of um, the modifications, first column being ones that were previously, and second column being ones that are being rezoned to allow the 30 units and exclusively residential. Next slide. Quite a few more on this list um, for, you can see, Another part of this that I'll get into with the slides, but it's important that through this new fair housing lens that we're looking at, that there are sites included throughout the community and not just targeted in one neighborhood. So 
um, staff worked very diligently to come up with this list. Thanks. Um, there are, and we've included the pipeline projects, as you see, Allison Apartments, Nut Tree. These were previously included. They're still on the list. And then some of these, again, projects, Peabody and Alamo were previously included. And that's it for the sites. Okay, so the next big piece of the housing element is the fair housing section, which I spoke about. So as you can see, um, the map on the right is your sites. The state required us to include a number of new maps within this, and it's all about promoting fair housing and identifying goals, policies, and programs. So there are a number of new programs in the housing element that address this, but it's about um, housing supply, housing choice, and removing barriers to limit um, any sort of discrimination and also identifying sites in all areas. So now you'll see the color range and this is where the maps that the, the state created. These are TCAC maps, which are used for tax credits for affordable housing projects. So we're using them in a little bit different way because you would want to put TCAC maps means that there's good schools and there's good transit and that's where you want to get, that's where you get tax credit money for projects. We show this to show where there are low resource areas as well as high resource areas. And it's important to make sure that we have sites included in both because in the low resource areas, we wanna re-incentivize and rejuvenate those neighborhoods. So we still wanna make sure we're including housing in those areas, as well as in, of course, the high resource, higher resource areas. So there's a number of maps. And what goes into um, where there's low resource areas, again, we look at the income levels, we look at the poverty. Um, you'll see there's probably about 20 maps there. You can go through each map and it talks about overcropping race, ethnicity, and um, income levels to kind of show you where that data comes from. All right, wrapping up. I know this is a lot. So uh, we have included 39 programs. There are 11 programs that are continuing from the previous, and there are 28 programs that are modified. And most of the modifications have to do with new state laws, where I mentioned that staff will be coming back to you with a number of zoning code amendments that will need to be done. And that's kind of, and then also the strategies and comprehensive housing strategy that was done, there were, implementation measures that came out of that that we're incorporating so that you're in sync with both those documents. So just to highlight, these are the programs that are that will be continuing, um, you know, again, allowing for density bonuses, um, first time home buyer programs, continuing uh, homeless continuum of care, um, you know, all those things that have are staple programs for the city that will continue. The ones that are modified here are, um, there have been a number of new state laws regarding emergency shelters. There's some tweaks that need to be made regarding parking standards for emergency shelters, um, streamlining of multifamily, um, housing rehab, low barrier housing navigation centers is a new one. It's just another form of emergency shelters that has um, support services that need to be allowed and then uh, continuing housing choice vouchers 
and um, demolition replacement of housing. So all of these kind of have a little bit of a fair housing spin on them because that's what's required now is that we have to kind of holistically look at this from a fair housing perspective and make sure that there's fair housing practices in all the programs. These are the new programs. So um, making changes to your accessory dwelling unit based on state law where those things can be allowed. There'll be increased um, densities, as I talked about, moving to 30 units an acre, as well as um, making sure those sites allow for housing that we showed in the previous maps. Those There will be some changes that will be coming forward to you. And um, yep, that's it for that. All right, so we kicked off um, back in August and we did a virtual meeting with you and the Planning Commission to review the draft previously or go over what the project schedule was. So tonight we are at the end of the, the, the way the state works now is that we had to post the housing element for 30 days and then subsequently 10 days to make changes and modifications based on public comment. So we're working with staff to address some public comment letters that were received. And then we will be submitting the housing element to HCD and that's a 90 day process, which is different than previous rounds where it was 60 days. We um, have been working with a specific reviewer at HCD. So we have of the Solano County housing elements that we're working on, we have three in review. So I feel like that puts Vacaville in a really good position because we'll start to hear the comments and be able to address those things and be ready for when we get a chance with our reviewer to make revisions that are required. HCD likes to have the final say, they like to um, put their stamp of approval on it. And so we'll definitely be making modifications to the draft, hopefully during that 90 day period. If there are things that are rise to a higher level that we need more input in, we might subsequently submit a second draft to HCD, which would be a 60 day review process. And we are also uh, working on, we will prepare an addendum for environmental review for the housing element. So uh, we will come back to the planning commission and then subsequently you for adoption in next late spring, early summer. And that's all I have. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm going to open it up to public comment. And I'm going to close public comment. And Councilmember Silva. Thank you for your presentation. It's got uh, five things. Uh, can you comment a little bit more on environmental justice? What, what constitutes environmental justice? Uh, can we get a better definition to that? Uh, number two, do you want me to give you one by one or can I just list them off? Can you guys report back? Sure, just, you can list them. Okay, uh, number two, I've expressed uh, concerns about concentrating low-income units in one given area. Um, I'm ready to put a cap on that in certain areas just to see uh, how we can distribute uh, the ability for folks to live in different parts of the town and benefit from that. Um, so I'd like to see some comments on how this housing element addressed that. Uh, particularly to see if I'm going to support it or not. Uh, and then number three, can you please comment a little bit more on the ADUs, uh, how that works within our town, um, what what space is needed for a homeowner if they want to pursue an ADU on their unit as far as um, how much land is needed for that. Uh, number four, um, can where is the, the concept of 
converting commercial property to residential property. Uh, I have concerns about doing that because we have small business owners that are already kind of struggling to find an affordable uh, unit to rent out their business uh, based on their business model. Um, so I'm kind of just want to make sure to see how the housing element involves uh, those talks of converting commercial property to residential. The last thing, um, well, what would be the process to amend whatever council would approve in, in the spring? And when, when would that go into effect? I can repeat one by one. Too. Let's start with that last one. Okay. Say that again. Um, so let's, uh, springtime council approves the you'll, housing uh, element. You'll adopt, adopt the housing to... element. It's a general plan amendment, so you'll adopt the housing element. And let's say there's something in there along the years that we need to, that's not quite working for the fit of our community, or the community doesn't like the direction that council's going, uh, and we want to respond to that through this, through the element. Uh, is there a process for that? And if so, um, you that can be? amend your general plan at any time. When it comes to the housing element, if you're changing your sites, or I guess it kind of, it will be on a case-by-case -case basis. So if you're taking sites out or if you're changing programs or something, then you would be required to resubmit to HCD mm -hmm. um, to have them review it, which is n not, yeah, I mean, there there are jurisdictions that do that. Typically you do it, you get it in, which is a, a big accomplishment to get it in compliance, and then you don't touch it for the eight-year period that mm -hmm. it is um, in compliance. But if you do make changes to it, um, there is a thought process. I guess it depends on, again, the severity, then you would want to resubmit to the state to make sure that you haven't violated your compliance and um, re-get get in compliance. So ideally, give the plan a chance for eight years. That, yes. In other words, yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah, um, the ADUs, so I don't have your specific information on ADUs, but um, do you, you, you can, okay, oh, yeah. Yeah. on like what your square footage is to be able to allow them. Um, so the ADU, um, the Cal right now the California law for ADU had the easement said that you can basically be almost at zero. As long as it can safely fit on the lot, you don't have to have setbacks certain parameter. Um, and please, Public refer to California Housing Finance Authority, Sacramento, California. They are the they are the state headquarters. They're offering forty thousand dollars for grants for ADUs for anyone that qualifies. Yeah. So go there. You can actually take a picture and do measurements in your backyard, make sure it complies. There's no setbacks. So tell the community to go for it. There's also some technical assistance work that I do at the state where uh, we will be releasing plot plans of ADUs that a homeowner, it will save them several thousand dollars that a homeowner can then take. We have uh, very small to, I think we have like a couple hundred square feet to like 500 square foot, thousand unit ADUs, square foot ADUs. And then you can take that to your local contractor and get it, uh, get it stamped and then take it to a construction to get it built. So. so let me just clarify. So in an older neighborhood that has typically more land because the newer developments are much smaller land to develop, but those older ones, if it fits, if it can accommodate an ADU, um, based on the current laws, there's nothing to prevent them from implementing that on their housing units. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Council Thank you. Um, 
the EJ question, uh, environmental justice. So I'm not the project manager and I will butcher the discussion on the environmental justice element, but yeah, we have a very team, we have a whole team working on environmental justice that they will, I believe there's a planning commission next week, um, discussion on that okay. and then subsequently it'll come to you. Council member, oh, two more. I think you had two I more. Apologize. Okay, so the commercial to residential, Tyra, is that something you, is there the commercial, uh, yeah. So as Jenny had noted earlier, it's really important that the city have a surplus of lands identified for this housing elements review period. Uh, the reason for that, once again, just a quick overview, is if at any time we take a site that has been identified for multifamily residential and it's built as something else, maybe it comes in and it has a general plan amendment for low density, then we have to ensure and prove that we have adequate lands remaining within our housing inventory to accommodate whatever lot or whatever units were lost on that original site. So we had gone through the entire city numerous times to identify all those sites that had been in previous housing elements. And as you recall, those are now allowed by right if someone comes in with a housing um, project with at least 20% affordable homes, those are included. We identified all of our pipeline projects and all of those projects I'm sure this council is very familiar with because you've probably seen them at one point or another. We also looked at any other remaining sites within the city that are currently zoned for high density residential as well as any other kind of residential use. And finally, we came to the point where we had to start looking at other lands within the city and those included commercial lands. One thing I would like to remind the city council of is with the adoption of our new land use development code, which was adopted earlier this year, that code does permit residential uses within the commercial zoning districts with the approval of a conditional use permit. So taking that into consideration, the city has identified specific commercial sites within the city that could accommodate housing. Some of those will remain identified as commercial sites both within the general plan and by the zoning designation. However, if someone were to come in and they wanna propose housing on that site, they can do so and housing would be permitted with the approval of the conditional use permit. Other sites, which we kind of went over tonight, here's a good example. Staff is recommending that we go ahead and redesignate and rezone these sites from commercial uses to housing designated properties. So one example of that would be at the very top of the see, Golden Hills policy plan area, which of course we no longer have policy plan areas, but you may know that by its old name. It's located here, oops, sorry, there we go. It's located here along Vaca Valley Parkway. This area is isolated from the actual industrial park itself. So we thought it might lend itself to housing development. And therefore we are identifying this site as one of those that we would like the city council to consider for rezoning from, I believe it's office commercial to housing. Moving forward, we will have to come back to the city council to initiate these changes, whether it be with the general plan or to do the rezonings themselves. So approval of the housing element does not necessarily approve the redesignation of these sites or the rezoning of these sites. However, I would like to caution the city council when we come back to you, you have every right to either approve 
or deny the proposed rezonings and redesignations, but we do want to always keep in mind what our arena number is. We want to ensure that we have an adequate surplus of lands to be able to meet our arena through the year 2031. And then your last question was on a cap. Um, what I'm not so sure. So there's what. concerns that we continue to put uh, higher low-income uh, units in the in certain areas. Um, so in Vacaville, that predominant area would be the Markham neighborhood. Uh, so as as there's, I mean, at some point, the area is going to get redeveloped because it's just it's older, sure. um, and it just makes sense to. So the concern for a lot of neighbors is are we gonna to continue to add more and more high density low income housing in that area or is it gonna be something that we can uh, find a better ratio to some speak, like you guys, sorry, like you all mentioned, uh, if it's 20% low income for a particular unit has to go in. Um, so what ways are there to protect the prevention of concentrating poverty in a specific area? My understanding that's what the housing element was supposed to possibly address? Sure. Um, there's a couple different aspects to this. So there is the actual land inventory, which you see here. So development can, you know, is allowed on these sites. However, there are programs in place that are, you know, fair housing related. We have identified the low resource and the high resource areas and staff, you know, will work with developers as they come in to um, try to incentivize areas for development. So we wouldn't want to put like a cap on it or say you can't develop there because HCD would cause, have issue with us saying you can't do something in certain areas. And if it's allowed in your, by zoning, you, it can develop. And, and so we have structured the programs for staff to work with developers to hopefully create what you're talking about. If I may clarify, what you see on the map isn't only designated for high density housing or lower income housing. The maps that have been shown to you tonight incorporate all the different income groups. So the colors are just designating the categories in which the properties are located. For example, everything shown in yellow is a pipeline project. Those are the projects that have already been entitled. The red are the underutilized sites. Um, one example of that would be the existing um, old CVS site located downtown, and you may be aware that we've redesignated redesignated it as part of the downtown specific plan. And the green just recommend or recognizes that these are vacant sites. Good. Yes, Councilmember Wiley. I also have a couple of questions and I, some of them are just easy answers and some need a little bit more explanation maybe. So number one, you mentioned the public meetings and I know it was during the uh, pandemic and then also that you posted it, the plan for public comment. So what kind of response did you get to the meeting and to the posting? Like did many people comment when, the, when it was posted is the first question. Um, the second question is the surplus in the above moderate income. I often know that there's a lag in the data. So does this data include Strata and Harbison or not already? Because I mean, we had that luxury income apartments and then we were looking, considering others as well. So I just, it's, it's kind of remarkable that we have such a surplus of almost 5,000 in the above moderate income. So that's my question. Does it include those other two that we already just recently added? Um, 
And when you talk about the land reserve and, and needing to have a surplus, is the land designated as urban reserve considered in that surplus or is urban reserve outside of that? And then number four, I'm glad you explained that the population increase is what triggered the change from 20 per acre to 30 per acre. Because when I looked at it in the information we got, I thought who initiated that? So it was the population that did that. Um, and that land is in District 6 near uh, Vanden. And it says a townhome project. So then if it goes from 20 to 30, will that say that townhomes couldn't be built because we were kind of dealing with that in another location in District 6 that said townhomes weren't dense enough. So that's what I wondered if that change from 20 to 30 would say that those townhomes wouldn't be able to be built there. Um, and then the last question is just an easy question. Um, you have ADUs versus junior ADUs. And so then you just mentioned a while ago about size. Is, is the size the only thing that makes it a junior or a senior? That's correct. <laughs> okay. yeah, and what size. is the break off in that from a junior to a big one? I think it's like, uh, I think a junior ADU can be less than like 300 square feet. I think it's okay. something along those lines. It's very small. And Aaron, thank you. No two bedrooms. I don't know my, <laughs> I don't know my ADU numbers. Well. Square feet okay. in size and initially had to be created out of existing living space within the home. And they also do not have to have a full kitchen. Um, they can have more of an efficiency kitchen and they also don't even have to have their own bathroom. The homeowner could share the bathroom with the resident of the junior unit. And then once you go over 500 square feet, it would be considered a regular ADU and it would have to have a kitchen. And those could also be within or separate? Absolutely. Okay. Juniors have been typically created out of garages or spare bedrooms. Spare bedrooms is actually the most popular. And then ADUs, can detached buildings, part of the house, expanding the house. There's lots of different ways to accomplish those. Okay, thanks. It just has to have a separate entrance, right, to be counted? They, they do. All the, all the different kinds of ADUs are required to have a separate entrance and, of course, be labeled so they can be found by people that may need to come out and find the people at the house. Vice Mayor Stockton. I haven't had the answers yet. Oh, I apologize. <laughs> Urban Reserve and Townhomes. Okay, so um, I, I will answer some of those questions and Jenny will answer the others. Um, in terms of our surplus properties, you had asked whether or not our urban reserve lands were included in that, and the answer to that is no. Um, we are not allowed to include those, given that the fact that they do not have a developable general plan designation currently. Townhomes. Um, I believe you may have had a question regarding what we typically call the military housing site located within District 6, as, as you had noted. It is currently identified as medium density residential. Um, this is one of the only remaining city-owned properties within the city itself. Um, in the past, we have received applications with affordable units, which is also allowed to have density bonus added to them. Given that we are heavily relying on this site to help us meet our lower income arena number, it is recommended as part of this draft housing element that site be rezoned from medium density residential to high density residential. So if, that was separate from the change in the population? That one is, yes. Okay. And that one is called out specifically in your staff report. Right. So then townhomes probably wouldn't be part of the plan if it change, makes that change. Only if they can make the new required minimum density of 30 units per acre work. 
and a lower income? Yes. Okay. And then your last was how many public comments were received? And I believe two letters, correct? And were uh, one, yeah, or was it, am I right? I'm sorry, I realized you had one other question. I had one other question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did. Um, forgive me, you asked about the harps and apartments and which other and one? Estrada. Estr oh, Estrada, yes. Mm -hmm. So Strata is not included in this because Strata has been constructed. However, the harps and townhomes, those are identified in the pipeline projects because they haven't finaled out the project. All right, and okay, thank you. Vice Mayor Stockton. Thank you for the presentation. Um, one of my questions, one of the things that I would like to see specifically in District 1 next to Solano Community College is something related to student housing and or student teacher housing. I think we have a great opportunity there and I believe they'll count towards some of our RAINA numbers as well. And then the last question was kind of built upon some of the questions that my colleagues um, asked regarding ADUs. Um, can we, and, and I don't know if I'm getting out of the spec, but um, Councilmember Ritchie brought brought up um, some grants that are available to build ADUs. Are, are those grants available to developers that are building in maybe moderate, uh, um, above moderate, brand new homes that are including an ADU? Are they eligible to get those grants if they build the ADU when they build the brand new home? I don't know the answer to that. My guess is probably no. <laughs> um, thank you, Councilmember Stockton, for the question. I don't know that the city of Vacaville residents actually are participating in the state program that Councilmember Ritchie mentioned. Okay. But if we were cre to create a local program or any programs that are out there, they're targeted at the homeowner, the homeowner that wants to add an ADU to their site. And the, the reason for that is the state's interest is in facilitating additional housing that helps homeowners either improve their property, sure. create a revenue stream that helps them again stay in their property, and otherwise just promotes positive things for the homeowner. So, so it would count toward RENA? It would count toward RENA. And how long would they have to rent that ADU out for it to continue to count? And what mechanism would the city have if they stopped doing that if, you know, grandma moves in? Under the current um, ADU law, which is possibly changing this minute, because that is just something that changes every year, there isn't a requirement that the unit be rented or not rented as part of counting it as a, um, a unit that counts toward arena. Uh, the, the state has become disinterested in how these units are used. They presume that if you build one, it's gonna house someone, and there's really not a lot of restriction or regulation on that. Councilmember Roberts. Yeah, thank you. Um, mostly due to some of the stuff we dealt with last council meeting. I know this one you also brought up AB 1397 with the with the 20% affordable housing and we kind of have to give them the, the opportunity to build. Uh, how does SB 330 play into the housing element with, if they meet the density and requirements and general plan, they can just build anyway. So how does that factor into this if we're trying to meet specific goals within the city and a developer comes along and says, we wanna build this regardless, just because we meet the, the general numbers that are put up by the city. We would have to meet your development standards. Mm -hmm. 
So, I mean, that any site could come in as a 330 if it's meeting the development standards of that zone that they're doing in, so. And does RENA play it all in that factor? Like if we have arena numbers and it goes higher than what we need on that, can we, how do, how do those two work, work hand in hand or? Well, you'll get credit for everything that's built. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, there isn't a conflict between the two. So, yes, if if a site, you know, we've taken a conservative approach to each of the sites in the land inventory, meaning we're only looking at a certain percentage of the site as, you know, maybe developable. So, you know, again, a, a 330 project would have to come in and meet the development standards and meet the allocation and or look at what the arena allocation is for that site and of course include affordable housing to be able to be a 330 project. So okay, I'm not just talking about like affordable, I'm talking about like the moderate income or high yeah. density. Like I believe on one of the slides you had the densities that were required for where yeah it shows like moderate income, multifamily housing, but there's nothing on there for um what is it the the above moderate multi house or multifamily housing. Is there well, that happens, yeah. that lends itself. That's why we have a surplus. So you're gonna have projects that are gonna come forward that are gonna be market rate. They're gonna be you know, high density market rate or townhouses or whatever they be. Um, and so that's why we have the surplus established. So you can approve good projects that you wanna improve in certain areas and neighborhoods, possibly to re-incentivize areas. So that's why we want to make sure we have that surplus so that you're still meeting, showing that you have land to meet the arena on top of approving market rate projects. Okay. Thank you. Councilmember Ritchie. Um, thank you so much. Uh, you know, just, I think every, every time we talk about housing how, and I would really just appreciate like, I think the community and people, you know, like the word affordable housing is always used is, is so fast, but what does that mean? I mean, so like we can give a dissertation, like I think the public gets frustrated, and so do I. Like when we say affordable housing, like what, what does that really mean? So like I, the area median index, we use 80% greater or lesser than 120, but like when we talk about fair housing, I think we should make a practice that people understand what that level means so they can kind of have their own determination on a pad of paper in their house on the couch, like where do I fall in line with quote unquote affordable housing? So we keep on saying it, it's gonna frustrate the community because things are getting less affordable as inflation gets higher. So we need to make, be cognizant and aware of, as people are trying to determine where they can find the place in the community, like what is affordable housing? Like, I hate that the word sucks. It's like, know your numbers, know your ratios, and where you lie in affordability. But just, what number would you want to say every time you talk to us? Like what is affordable? 80% of the area median index? I think we should state what that is so they can do the math. Um, the other thing is, there's a great bill that just came out. So 330, you're right. So arena numbers, that's a hard part of 330. If, when you look at the numbers, if there's a availability each of the tranches, they can build it. If, if there is enough room to squeeze in luxury homes, luxury apartments, if it fits, they can build it. We can't stop it. Kind of sucks, but um, AB, Assembly Bill 2295, will address what Stockton was talking about. So Assembly Bill, um, 2295 will go into effect, I think, January 1st, 2023, and that will allow for any land owned by a school district mm -hmm. to be converted into housing. 
So there's over 175,000 acres across the United States that school districts are just sitting on land, hanging out. They're not building schools. They're just letting rabbits jump around. So the state of California is like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna force you guys to do something about it. So housing and student housing and housing teachers is paramount. And so they're finding ways to incentivize. So if a school district sit on land for 20 years, the value of land is very cheap. Prevailing wage, they can come in and build an awesome project and bring affordable housing to students and teachers. So that's a side note. We don't build housing as, as, as a city, but I just want the public to know like what's up on the ballot or what's out there. We have mechanisms to help people get housing. So that's it. Thank that's you very great. much. Thank you for the presentation. We'll move on to 9B, Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. And just real quickly, because there was a lot of discussion about uh, ADUs, accessory dwelling units, I would just uh, suggest that if anybody out there is interested in building one of those, please contact our planning department. You'll get all the latest information about what the rules are and all. So uh, thank you. And thank you to our team for, for that presentation. Uh, the final item tonight is a uh, presentation on safe routes to school, call for projects. Our Deputy um, Director of Public Works, City Traffic Engineer Gwen Owens is here to make a presentation. Hey, um, good evening, Mayor, Vice Mayor, and City Council members. Tonight, I will have a brief presentation uh, to go over Public Works call for projects for Safe Routes to Schools. So basically what Safe Routes to Schools are is it's strategies and improvements to increase walking and biking to and from school with the ultimate goal of having more children walk and bike. So the City of Vacaville works closely with Solano Transportation Authority, which is STA. One of STA's functions is to provide countywide transportation and planning. And in the context of this discussion, STA will be taking the lead in developing the new Safe Routes to School Plan. The last Safe Routes to School Plan was developed in 2013. In early of 2023, STA will be starting the new plan. The plan will take about a year to two years to actually complete. The importance of being in the plan, being in the plan is important because many grants require a project to be an approved plan for us to be able to qualify for funding. So it's really the first step in our ability to acquire funding for improvements. Okay, so what Public Works is doing is in advance of STA starting the plan is we're asking the community to identify areas of concerns for students walking and biking to school. So once the areas of concerns are identified, Staff will collect data, evaluate the locations, and determine what physical improvements would help to rectify the situation. While we'd like to resolve every issue, not all issues can be resolved with physical improvements. So what we have done is um, we've created a website so that residents, uh, parents, school officials, anybody in the community can identify locations of concerns and what the concern is. That website goes live tomorrow. We will be doing a press, re press release tomorrow. Um, we are contacting the school principals and the, the school district PIOs via email tomorrow to let them be aware of the program. 
And I have also requested to be able to present at both of the school boards. So with that, um, what we are doing is, uh, this is just an information item to let you know what we're doing. So um, basically the program, uh, the call for project starts tomorrow. It ends in January 31st. Um, each, each concern that's submitted will be evaluated by staff, which will require us to collect data, do field observations, and do a feasibility analysis of what improvements can actually be installed. Um, from there, we will develop a list of projects. Those projects will be submitted to STA, and it will be included in the plan. We've already uh, contacted STA about what we were planning on doing, and they're very excited that we're doing this call for projects in advance of them moving forward with their plan. And then STA's plan is anticipated to be completed, you know, the end of 2024, the beginning of 2025. So with that, I have questions and comments. I'm gonna open up public comment. Close public comment and see if the council has any questions. I do have one, council member Silva. Hi, Gwen. Um, good to see you. Uh, so I think this is a great uh, proactive, you know, uh, practice to collect the feedback from throughout the public. Is is this going to be something that it's going to be the more, more people that speak up get more priority, or is it really just going to be based on um, if there's one person, whether it's one person or hundred people, it doesn't matter. It really matters is what the uh, based on the data. The city staff will follow up on those different. So what will happen is we'll get however many concerns we get different locations. Each of the locations will evaluate to determine what the best improvement would be out there. There are some locations that we just can't solve because if you have like Markham Elementary School, it was built for approximately 450 students. It has 900. There are certain things that we can't solve about that that will still have congestion. We did submit the grant to OBAG three for improvements to Markham to help rectify that. So um, what I wanna say is it's really gonna be borne out by what is the best improvement at that location that's needed. And um, just for me for, I mean, we've talked about this, but I'm less concerned about congestion, more concerned about uh, public safety, uh, particularly to the, to the kids uh, and families, um, as far as if we're gonna prioritize. Um, so uh, is there a certain distance from school sites that this, uh, what's the distance that? Uh, it's it's more of a path of travel. So it depends upon if kids are walking and biking uh, on those locations. Sometimes it could be right next to the school and sometimes it could be like a mile or two away from the school. Okay. And that would also include those who are on wheelchairs or some type of mobile device? Ex exactly. Okay. Thank you. Councilmember Roberts. Yeah, a couple questions. Um, I know uh, Councilmember Sullivan is not here tonight. He recently did a study for his area, the Mariposa area. So yeah, just pulled up what's called the Community Pedestrian and Bicycle Safety Training Program. So it did a study on walking and cycling to and from the various areas and around Mariposa. Would that be something, a similar study that'd be done around the schools for, yeah, pedestrians, bicycling, traffic? So yes, basically what we'd look at is um, we would get the community's feedback of where there's issues and what the issues are. And you know we might have to delve a little deeper into what their um, concerns are because sometimes when people give us feedback, 
it's a little convoluted and you need to ask a lot of questions. So we would basically, from that information, we would work with the residents to come up with what would help them in, and also be an acceptable uh, improvement to install. Okay. Hey, would, would it be reasonable to, to do something like this type of study around each of the school sites? Because I know just from being in the city, like we're pretty horrible about cycling paths. There's almost no usable bike lanes in the entire city because I do a lot of cycling myself and mm -hmm. it's very sketchy on most roads, especially if kids are using them in the morning. So that's something I'd like to see. I mean, I'd probably be in partnership with STA and the school boards as well to do the studies to justify various projects, which I assume this is going to cover some of. Um, I'm glad to see you address uh, Travis because in the in the document that went out, it just said school board and school board presentation. So I thought, like most times, Travis often gets forgotten about because there's only that one section in town which has it. So I'm glad you brought up both school boards and PIOs in that, that piece. Um, and then uh, I had an opportunity to talk to Lori Wilson the other day, and she said some stuff that's coming up pretty soon is the state just reinstated the school bus programs. So that's going to be active again here pretty soon. And so I know it's not active yet, but I know that definitely need to be considered because especially if you're going out to Markham, pushing a school bus down those narrow roads with all the traffic is going to be an issue, especially if you're having kids cycling and walking on those areas as well. Uh, so that's just something that um, I'd like to see considered. I know it's not yet, but maybe historically what the school bus, what the school district did regarding the bus system when it was active years ago. and. Uh, she's, she also mentioned that there might be some possibility for funds coming down from the state to address these types of issues as well. So not just STA, but from the state also. So, I mean, you might want to reach out to, to her office and see what they're currently working on that might affect this program that we're, we're trying to do with the schools. That's all I have. Thank you. Vice Mayor Stockton. Okay, thank you for the presentation. I think this is a topic that all of us really want to dive into and really encourage the community to take part in. So I appreciate the website and, the, and, and reaching out and trying to get as much information as possible. Um, I want to make sure that we make an extra effort to uh, reach out to our senior citizens. Um, you know, I know a lot of folks that live in the Leisure Town area, there's one crosswalk, um, if any, I think there might be zero or one one crosswalk, forgive me, on Yellowstone, I believe. And so just some of those areas where we might be able to provide safer ways for folks across the street, and I don't want to forget them as well. And then also with, um, you know, the, the eastern potential opening of the eastern growth corridor, I think Jepson Parkway, we've already had two people that have been killed on Jepson Parkway. We have a roundabout that gets hit. Uh, multiple times in public works has probably got an active schedule on who's going to fix the next one when that roundabout gets crashed into. I'd love to get rid of the roundabout if possible. I think that's going to be compounded even more once they open up the, the, the pathway to Foxborough. So um, I'm really interested to continue this conversation. I'm very thankful that we're having it. So thank you for that. And just want to make sure that the seniors, um, the other the other area I'll say right now is Centennial. Um, the, the folks that are coming from uh, the Markham neighborhood, I think could have a safer pathway to get to that to that park as well. So not just our our community, our, our little city, you know, residential parks, but trying to make sure that we have bikeable, safe 
uh, ways for them to get to some of the neighborhood and, and community parks as well. And STA also has an active transportation plan. So if there's projects that come out that aren't necessarily, you know, in proximity to a school, they can also be added to the active transportation plan because they do do, even though we have a current one, they do do amendments to that. And it was, I, I actually added in um, Markham and Kairos into the active transportation plan. And that was one of the check the boxes for us to be able to get funding. Well, we apply for funding. We don't know if we have funding yet. I won't know until like early in 2023. And is this gonna include, because it's going through STAs, some of the overpasses that are that are being retrofitted right now and expanded? I know like over where 505 is, um, they are trying to, I, I think that plan calls for three different roundabouts. I'm, I'm really interested in some of the technology we just got back from Caliga cities and there's all kinds of vendors and people with, you know, radar lights that point in different directions about the bikeability of getting over that overpass for people that want to go to Solano Community College that are going to ride their bike to get there. And so and seeing that actual project has a separate bike ped facility that won't be part of uh, the roundabouts. If you wanted to take the roundabouts right. and go over the roadway, you can, but okay. it'll be also separated. Um, that, that actually is a current project that's in design and we actually have money for construction. Um, I think that it's looking at going out to construction, I believe in 2024 and it'll be about 18 months for construction. So that's already in the pipeline. So it wouldn't necessarily be in a plan for funding. Okay. And that would tie into Vaca Valley where, where the roads meet that project as well with bike lanes and stuff like that. Okay. Correct. Wonderful. Thank you. Councilmember Wiley. Thanks for the information, and I think it's very much needed around the schools. And uh, as far as the buses go, if the buses do come back, um, whenever it'll be a, a year or two, it will hopefully be less congested because then all the parents will be dropping their kids off too. So you might have more bus traffic, but less vehicular traffic. Um, but one thing I do want to say is. Um, I, a parent was talking to me about where the bus drops off like the junior high and the senior high because we don't bus our elementary. But they said, you know, because crossing Foxborough or Nuttree, they're dropped off away from a crosswalk. So that was an issue. So if a parent has ideas or wants to do something, and I guess we'll, you said you're rolling it out tomorrow, so maybe all this information's in there. Do they, they don't themselves submit a thing. Do they talk to the principal or talk to the school so that so that they can get the information in a way that would be more likely to be funded or, or studied? So, so basically, anybody can submit a request. So, if, what if there's like five parents that have the same thing? Shouldn't they work together so if they have one? It would be easier if they work together. That's what I thought. Um, to be able to do that, but uh, it could be a resident, uh, somebody from the school, you know, a parent, a grandparent, a guardian, anybody who who's actually sees and identifies that there's an issue. Um, when we, when I worked with Mark um, Elementary School, we had the meeting with Councilmember Silva and the school representatives. Um, I came away from the meeting, realized we had, you know, the funding opportunity. And so I then contacted, um, he's not the principal, he was a previous principal, um, the individual from the district. And I said, I believe this is what I heard you say. I believe this is what you want. And then we went back and forth a couple of times with layouts so that I could actually get what he wanted. So 
depending upon how extensive the request is and how, uh, how much other information, we might go back and forth several times because part of what I wanna do is uh, we wanna put projects that are feasible in the plans because once the project's in the plan, the community expects it to ultimately be funded and built. And if we put something in that's not feasible, then it doesn't look good on us. So basically the application is, this is the need. They don't have to come up with, this Correct. is what we need to solve. This, this, this is, is our the problem. Need. This, this is the problem. This is our problem. And then we would basically troubleshoot it from there. And I think the more sources of income and money is great because I know that um, the Yellow Salon Air Quality Management also gave money to Markham because there was a great need there. And Cambridge is in the same way in that it was built for about 400 students mm -hmm. and there's you know over seven or 800 right now. So yeah, thanks for the information. Councilmember Ritchie. Presentation. Um, so I'm kind of officially a soccer dad. I had five games this last weekend. So I had a lot of opportunity to talk and trip around the soccer field to a lot of parents about this. And you're, you're, I think you're gonna get a great response. There's a lot of parents that are passionate about, like, first of all, the education about how much less we walk and how that was, that was alarming from the 50s till now, 50%, now 11.4%, and that was amazing. But just create more opportunities for parents to feel safe to their kids. First of all, like, the health benefits of walking to school or riding bike to school is amazing. Um, but they have to feel safe for their kids, you know, get helicopter parent release, let the kid go. Um, you know, it's personal, like, when I saw this, it was pretty exciting. I, I, myself, I was hit by a car when I was in the fourth grade, and I was died. So it was, uh, thank you so much for back fire back then, saving me. Um, it was an awesome story, but, um, you know, saying sorry doesn't help, but, you know, when someone else kills you. And so I, I know how fast it happens. You know, a kid's riding a bike, not paying attention, exactly what can happen, where you're, you're weaving back and forth cars because you're on the side of the street and you get creamed. And so it happened to me, so I can visualize what could happen, the same scenario they're painting. But, um, you know, the safety issue, like myself and those Stockton, earlier we, we um, used our district dollars to dedicate cameras to help keep our community safe. Um, I think there's a lot of ways we can really go out there and get the feedback and make these safe paths for walking. But knowing that, I mean, it's over the top lights and hey, there's light plate readers, there's cameras. People know, hey, don't, don't bother, you know, engaging, messing with kids along these paths or else you'll be easily found by our amazing Vacuum Police Department. I think to create a safe walking environment where they're protected, eyes, eyes are on them when we're not there as parents. So you feel safe to let our kids kind of walk in a pack and stay on these paths where we at least know, hey, something happens, There, the cameras and the ability for the resources to find our kids as fast as possible. I mean, I think not just having the, the, the bright green you know, strips, but really creating a safe path where people don't even bother um, just speeding um, or just engaging in kind of crazy activities with kids. So I think, I mean, think big. I mean, I'm a proponent for this, I was hit by a car, so I think, Never be too safe because kids don't pay attention. So we get, you know, I didn't pay attention. So I think we had to do it for them. So that's it. Thank you very much for the presentation. We will move on to uh, the city manager report. I have nothing to report this evening. Thank you, sir. Uh, reports of city council. Anybody from the city council? I see Vice Mayor Stockton. Yes, thank you, Mayor. Uh, 
Um, this Saturday, I had the opportunity to go out to the Nutri Plaza, and they had a wonderful event, the Giant Pumpkin Way Off um, Contest, which was great. There were, uh, I would say, at least a thousand or two people out there with kids. It was really great to see that nut tree vibrant and, and people getting together again and having a good time. So I wanted to, uh, to congratulate the winner of that. Apparently, it was quite the purse. They were competing for a... Uh, for a world championship way off. Um, not sure if they won or not. There was like they three. Did. They did. They did. Yeah, they won. So th I know there was there was a couple going on the same day throughout the uh, throughout the state. And so there there was some pretty serious folks that were paying attention to to seeing uh, all the weigh-ins come in. So pretty exciting that that happened here in Vacaville. Um, the California Pumpkin Growers Association was out there and. and just um, kind of neat to see agriculture up close here in Vacaville, which was which was super cool. And then the the next thing that I wanted to talk about is um, I, I just wanted to pay homage to um, Mel Howe, who uh, was a police officer here in the city of Vacaville. He served over 30 years um, for the city, protecting uh, the community that I grew up with potentially my entire life. Um, I had the uh, privilege of working with uh, with his son and uh, just wanted to um, make sure that we honored him today and um, his service to our community. So he passed away last week. Would you, would you mind talking about Saturday night? I know that it was your event, but it was still a great event. Oh, um, don't get, don't get weird can I on talk it. About, yeah, um, of course you can. Very exciting this Saturday night. Um, I'm part of a nonprofit that provides funding for uh, mental health for first responders that live or work in Solano County or work in Solano County and their families. That includes not just police officers and firefighters, but also dispatchers, correctional officers, ER, um, ER doctors, um, ER nurses, um, paramedics. And we, uh, we had a, a really good event out at Cool Patch Pumpkins in, in, in our neighbors to the, to the north, um, to the northeast. Uh, in Dixon, and uh, we we were able to raise twenty seven thousand um, dollars that goes toward um, you know making sure that the the first responders that are there for us when we need them most are able to go home whole to their families. So um, it was very exciting. Um, it was uh, there was over three hundred and fifty folks that showed up. It was really um, just an uplifting event to see uh, Solano County come together as a community to support the folks that are um, out there trying to make sure that we take care of each other. So thank you to everybody that attended and supported the event. And thank you. You were a huge part of it. I know your whole family was a part of it. So thank you. And, and thank you for speaking on it. I knew you weren't going to, so I forced it. Okay, uh, Council Member Silva. Um, I think it was about a week ago, uh, pulled in to drop my kid off and I saw uh, Vacaville PD having coffee with a coffee with a cop celebration day. Uh, had not taken credit for this whatsoever. Uh, and so that's what I think is so amazing about it. It wasn't something that, you know, I was trying to trying to uh, bridge a gap, if you will. Uh, it was something I tried to come on two years ago to help do. Uh, so I really want to thank Chief Spudgeter for his leadership. Um, again, really embracing the concept of community policing, which I think a lot more of us are maybe familiar with. Uh, I think it's deeply appreciated. And I just personally really appreciate that leadership uh, that I see resonated throughout the department. So thank you. Uh, two more things. A couple, well, maybe a few weeks ago now, uh, mid-September, uh, President Biden signed an executive order uh, starting up a national biotechnology and biomanufacturing initiative. 
so they're projecting that this particular industry is going to be $30 trillion in 10 years. Our GDP for our nation is around $21 trillion. And we have one guy, <laughs> two guys, uh, but uh, under the leadership of um, our Director of Economic Development, Don Burris, I really wanted uh, to uh, extend you a public appreciation for your uh, continued efforts to be able to tap into not just the ability to bring these jobs here uh, by getting these um, these different companies here, but again, these products that this field makes is something that's going to truly change the world for the the pharmaceuticals for the the kids uh, that it's going to benefit the fam the different families from all ages, uh, different products. Uh, that's all under this uh, concept of the bioeconomy. Sorry, it's hard for me to like condense this into like small things. But um, this whole, what they're calling the bioeconomy is gonna be $30 trillion. That's what is projected in, in 10 years. And because of the efforts of previous councils and the current council, um, we're, we've been pretty much unanimous on how we can continue to support this effort to bring those opportunities, uh, not just in the jobs, but the impact that it's gonna make throughout the world right here in the city of Vacaville. So I think that's pretty awesome. Um, kind of segue into the next thing. I think our education system is a key role into that. Uh, it's a key component to be to make sure that we have a ready workforce, not just to build the infrastructure that's needed, but also to be able to put people in the, the different types of interdisciplinary type of jobs to support this effort. Uh, so a lot of that not just comes down to our college systems, but also to our K-12 system. And so recently, um, I wanna uh, thank the Vacaville Unified School District Board uh, for uh, recognizing and, um, and uh, I guess, appointing, uh, agreeing, uh, giving the contract uh, to uh, someone who's very, we're very familiar with here locally at Santa Padre. So who's gonna be our new superintendent? Uh, the man has nothing to prove uh, to our community, uh, yet he is somebody I, I know that each of us know that he's absolutely dedicated doing, to do what's best uh, for our community, understands our community very well. And uh, what I'm excited about is his efforts to continue to expand on the abilities to make sure that our kids are trained to enter that workforce and make a difference in the world in multiple ways. So just congratulations there. Thank you for that. Uh, Councilmember Robert. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, Councilmember Stockton, the event was a great event on Saturday. Uh, good turnout for good cause. Um, but something kind of on that note that I wanted to bring up. Uh, so tomorrow is North Bay Stand Down for veterans. Uh, it's being hosted at Dixon Fairgrounds. Uh, they usually do it every year where they cover everything from like medical, dental, VA services, court services, transitional housing, homelessness, any legal services. So anything that a veteran might need that's not necessarily getting the services benefits that they, that they should be getting. Um, We'll be at Dixon Fairgrounds tomorrow. We do, there is a bus leaving from Vacaville from the corner of school in McClellan Street down there near Andrews Park. I believe that bus leaves about 8.50 or 9 a.m. So if you know anybody that needs those services, uh, there is a bus going there and it'll be going on pretty much all day tomorrow. That's all I have. Thank, Thank you. you. Council Member Wiley. That was something that I was also going to mention because they were looking for volunteers and I did sign up. So I'm going to be there tomorrow to help check people in and have everything going because I really think it's such a needed service and the fact that we can get help from the veterans and doctors and a lot of people are volunteering their time as well. So um, I'm excited about being able to help. It did say don't show up if you haven't registered because we can't accommodate that. So hopefully they got the volunteers that they needed. 
Um, and the other thing, I just wanted to say thank you for entertaining, listening to our Commission on Women and Girls, Edith Thomas. I was, I've been involved with them for you know a couple of years in, in their projects, and they are really working to help people, single mothers, other people that need the help and support. So it's really a wonderful organization, and I'm so glad that we have a city council representative in Edith Thomas. So she, this is her last year as chair, but she will continue on as um, a, as the past chair for I think another year, and then we'll look at appointing another person. But she's done a phenomenal job. Thanks. Great, Councilmember Roberts. Just a quick comment that I forgot to mention. Uh, I work with city manager and parks rec maybe next next year possibly back to hosting this stand down i know they tried in years previous as probably like six seven years ago and they, they had difficult they just want the, the event to be more centrally located within solano county because it's very difficult to get especially homeless veterans all the way out to dixon and since there's large larger concentration because of travis um, but we have a year to plan and try to work with them so not surprising to anybody but next year i'd like to see either Hosted here in Vacaville, if we have the opportunity, or if we can't, then maybe push off to Fairfield and see if they can uh, help out as well. Thank you. Okay, and then I just wanted to do a special recognition for uh, one of our own. Um, Aaron Morris was recognized as the hidden hero by the Greenbelt Alliance, and I wanted to thank you for that. I ran into the director of the Greenbelt Alliance down in Oakland. And she had mentioned it, and I was like, nah, I live in Vacaville too. So uh, I thought it was awesome. Thank you for all your hard work. And then we're going to move to closed session. We will not be reporting anything out tonight. Good night, Vacaville.